Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's back to school week and it's deja vu all over again, I'm afraid. Boris Johnson's crawled out from under his stone to declare that Theresa May doesn't know what she's doing. Not exactly big news, is it? Meanwhile, she says there's absolutely, most definitely, no chance of a second referendum. And no one is buying it after she said the same thing about a snap election last year. But don't worry, we're not talking about any of that. Instead, we're discussing whether women are vain and men going vegan is a sign of a midlife crisis. Daisy McAndrew is here to help us with that and she's not from the north of England where apparently women are very different according to some bizarre study that's just come out. 03444991000. First up though, we're looking at the problem with ambulances. More and more people are having to wait overnight to get them because there simply aren't enough of them. We'll be finding out why that is and why it might be that the shortage is due to so many of them being used by the prison service. They're calling them apparently every 40 minutes. 03444991000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham and Daisy McAndrew on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk to Dr Mike Smith, uh, who's an NHS commentator, and find out from him what exactly is going wrong with the system. Uh, Dr Mike, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Yeah, morning, Mike. Thanks. Yeah, well, it's it's underfunded and overused. And I mean, it sums it all up when you see that one chief executive has just felt the need to resign because, you know, understandably, a chief executive would feel responsible, even though uh, it's not as if they're in a business and out for profits and to save costs. They're just delivering a service on what is offered to them and is available um, on the national budget. Yeah, but is, uh, is, uh, is the problem too much demand, not enough supply, a bit of both? What is it? Well, it's a bit of, you know, there are 600 different authorities that run the NHS and many of them have to collaborate and talk to each other before they can do anything. It's one of the reasons why it's such a complicated admin system. And as you know, as well as I do, I'm sure uh, ten, something like 10 billion quid was spent trying to computerise it. It was so complex, it didn't work. Yeah. So 10, 10 billion quid was wasted. I mean, the, the NHS England had the right idea. It's still, of course, subject to much negotiation because everybody's got views on it, as you do have when you get 600 different authorities. It's a bit like the government with a split down the middle and the two main parties, and so they can't make a 
decent decision on anything. And it's one of the problems of the NHS. And the NHS England have been trying like fury for the last, what, five years, something up to five years, to get local collaboration and local leadership delivering the local service that's required. Because it does differ from area to area. You have, you know, you have rural areas some places and concentrated populations in others. And so if you had somebody, and you know when it's there, you, it, leadership is virtually impossible to define, but you know when it's there and you know when it isn't. And currently in so many places, through little thought of their own, it's not there because of the difficulties. And, you know, I said one chief executive has resigned. There's another one saying that that, that chief executive will feel they need to go if something can't be done because, you know, you're sitting on what is a big responsibility for people's lives and you haven't got the tools to deal with it. Who, and this may not be an easy question to ask given what you've just said about the many different authorities and the many different organisations involved here, but I mean, who actually decides what the priority of an ambulance call is? Because it seems that uh, whenever I talk to anyone who works in a hospital uh, and is involved in A&E, they always say quite often ambulances are bringing people in who shouldn't be in ambulances, whereas uh, people who need an ambulance are not able to get one. Well, there you go. I mean, that, that's a case in point. I mean, as you've heard me say before, two out of five people that go to A&E, which is set up with highly expensive staff and equipment to deal with 24-7 problems, uh, two out of five are able to leave without further investigation or treatment, just advice. Mm. Now, if, if there was an easy way for them to get advice from a healthcare professional locally, that wouldn't happen. And, and we do have a very good system now of well-trained medics paramedics who go to houses and and they quite often are able to liaise if they need further advice Uh, they can actually do things like ECGs and have them read by not only themselves who are quite confident of doing it but backed up by the consultant appropriate concern Um, and all this is is in place too but then when you get this incessant demand and you've got to you know you you're taking a, a decision it may be nothing, it may be nothing at all, just somebody getting anxious, or it may be somebody with a life-threatening condition. And so you've got to devote all your time and attention to it, and and ah, and, and we're landed as we are now. And, and Mike, I was saying before you joined us that you know, more than half of the people who are having to wait overnight for an ambulance from this this report that's out today um, are over 70. And obviously you, you said yourself the demand for ambulances has gone up. I think there were more than 10 million calls last year compared to only eight and a half million just a few years ago and i'm guessing that a lot of this is the sort of aging demographic Uh, you know the fact we've got more and more old people needing care and the fact that the social care um isn't there for them presumably that's well that would be one of the answers is to get those sort of elderly patients dealt with in a different and a more imaginative way yeah oh absolutely i mean we must all have examples i certainly have a friends who are dealing with a spouse who perhaps is losing it and and wandering off and falling over and can't be got up um him or herself and uh, they can't help so an ambulance has to be called so you have to have a couple of strong people to lift the individual up that sort of thing mm. um and as you say this really is is social care but with a bit of medicine thrown in on top have they broken anything is there any further damage that needs further treatment you know it's 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 complex but it's there all the time and it's as you say with the aging population the needs are growing ever stronger all the time and i know before he left um the um the, the department jeremy hunt did you know he, he said he wanted to take control of not just you know healthcare but but social care as well is there any sign that that you know will happen or will work uh, well, it, it, it's integrating at the top, but it needs integrating at the bottom, mm. really, because that's where you're delivering the service. I mean, the fact that it's integrated at the top is a start. I mean, uh, some time ago, I did work for what was then called the Department of Health and Social Security, um, and that's come back, the name's come back. Um, 
it, it, it's, it's one of the 600 places in the NHS that is starting to sort itself. What I want to see is it happening locally so that local people are able to make responsible leadership-type local decisions and get the service we need. And why do you think that won't happen? Is that because there's too much of a sort of power grab at the top and they don't want to devolve that power or it's too complicated or it'd be unpopular? Well, a combination of all those things. I mean, local people say, oh, my goodness, we'll be losing even more of our budget if we integrate. You know, I mean, the social services are more strapped than the NHS. The NHS is bad enough. And and they see perhaps the NHS in places see, albeit not necessarily spoken thus, but see it as perhaps, you know, having to dispense with some of the, you know, low funds that they've got to help the social services out. But mm. if, you, if you were designing locally at, at a local level the treatment that is needed for the people that need it, then this sort of discussion wouldn't come in. You'd say, well, that's what is needed and that's what we've got to do and we've got to just work it out as best we can between the budgets we've got. No, indeed. And and to make sort of matters worse, a, a, a different report uh, but runs concurrently with the one we're just talking about uh, is about how many ambulances now being called to prisons uh, every 40 oh, yes. minutes, apparently, prison inmates uh, are getting uh, are putting in a call for an ambulance. And there's now 12,200 uh, visits to to jails from ambulances. That can't be right either, can it? Surely they should have well, their it's... own method of getting to hospital. Well, I know. And it's exactly the same. And about six months ago, there was a big story about police being called out when there were no ambulances available to see what they could do. I yeah. mean, it's, again, it's at least showing that you don't turn the other cheek. You do cross the road as the Good Samaritan did. Um, and and uh, what can you do? What can you do except try and get local people to sort out their local problems? And, and you know, as I say, when leadership is there, you know it because the system works. That, that it's yeah, but I'm starting to get a little bit fed up, Dr. Mike, I must confess. And it's not just because I'm getting grumpy in my old age. That any part of the... I mean, can you find me any part of the NHS actually works properly oh, yeah. without, yeah, wasting, are... without wasting any money and without sort of, you know, giving priorities to the wrong people? Yes, they're there, Mike. They're Where? The vanguard area. The va- they're called the vanguard areas. And the, uh, the um, NHS England are doing their best to get people from other areas to go and see what's going on that they're not doing. And, you know, they're finding that the morbidity and mortality rates are lower. They keep within their budget and the staff are happy. And that's what you're trying to do in order to provide a good service. And this is happening in the vanguard areas. There are various places. If you go and look on vanguard areas online, you'll probably have NHS Vanguard areas. Okay. You'll see where they are. And are they running okay. their ambulance services better than as well? Well, uh, I, possibly. I don't know without looking individually yeah. at them, but the impression is that they are. Hmm. Well, let's hope so. I just, you know, all I want is for somebody to say, look, this is how it should be done. Let's do it this way and then get it yeah. done. I mean, we seem to have these endless conversations on this radio station and at many other times as well about what's wrong with the NHS and nobody seems in, in any way capable of fixing it. Well, I've just well, looked up some of these Mike's vanguard areas and apparently Northumberland and Northumbria um, are two of the areas in particular. So I think we should speak to somebody Well, let's there, get them on. Get them on yeah. and, fi- and find yeah. out what, what they're well, doing. Well, nobody lives up there, right? I mean, that's part of part, part, part the reason it's good. Well, I mean, it's not very, it's <laughs> well, yeah, not, it's not very heavily populated, Northumbria. Half of it's but, a but forest. They've got the difficulties of the rural community to deal with and the distances and so on, you know, and they've overcome that. I mean, keep publicising. We need the third estate. Keep publicising. Fourth estate. Keep publicising. How about the a fifth estate? Areas. Or the fifth column. <laughs> as, long, as long as it's a no listen nobody right. wants the nhs to work better than me i think it's a fantastic idea i just think something's gone horribly wrong and nobody seems to know what to do about it 
Well, yeah, but do they in Trump's America? Do they in the two main political parties? Well, I, mean, I don't know now, what Trump's got to do with it, Dr. Mike. What Russia? are you bringing him into it for? But actually, in well, America, in America, the system doesn't work as badly as people who don't like America uh, think it does. You know, my elderly mother lives there and she's just had a broken hip and she has had to spend no money at all to get it fixed. How'd she do that? Because they don't have an NHS. Because she hasn't got very much money. And the idea uh, that somehow poor people are left dying in the streets is an absolute myth. It's absolute nonsense, right? If you haven't got money, the state will pick up the bill. It's as simple as that. So you reckon their service is better than ours? Well, actually it is, yeah, because their preventative health is better, uh, their drugs are better, they don't uh, tell you you can't have antibiotics in case we all become immune to them. You know, they actually fix people's health better than we do. Well, um, yes, I'm off the top of my head. I don't know how their morbidity and mortality compares with ours, to be technical. But that's what you've got to look at. Well, all I can tell you is from my own anecdotal evidence, I've lived there for 10 years. I had a child born in New York City. I've had three children born in the UK. You know, the care in America is very, very good indeed. And in this country, I'm afraid, it doesn't always live up to that standard. Okay, journalists love an anecdote, uh, for instance. So yeah, well, we it's better than statistics because you can't twist an anecdote, but you can twist statistics. Oh, go on, go on. What, what about the you know, the pope that smoked? My granddad smoked a hundred woodbines and drank a bottle of whiskey a day and yeah. lived till ninety. Well, did he? You know, what about that one? Well, did he? Yeah, but I know. Well, there you go then. People, <laughs> well, it's know, true, isn't it? Well, it's true. I know people who've fallen off six floor windows and lived. Okay, but I wouldn't recommend it. No, well, that's hardly the point, is it? I'm, all I'm saying is, is that there's a lot of uh, myths and nonsense talked about healthcare systems in other parts of the world. And when we get uh, sort of, you know, the, 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 the God squad of the NHS, as I call them, you know, Labour Party people who say, oh, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Nobody else has got anything as good as this. It's simply not true. But actually, I mean, Mike's, Dr. Mike, you know, is right. If you look at American infant mortality rates, they're very, very bad. They're 29th, which they shouldn't be for such, you know, 29th. I don't know what that means. To, well, it means that the more of their children die than yeah, should. But I don't know why that is. And until you know why, you can't just quote meaningless statistics because there might be well, a big reason for that. They well, might... let's, let's, hear, let's hear what Dr. Mike thinks. <laughs> it gives you a start, Mike. You've then got to look at it and say, what is it that we're not doing that that lot are doing? That's where the vanguard areas come in, as I was saying earlier. Or, or as Go it's become see... known, Northumbria. There are 50 well, no, of no, them. No, I don't know what the other 49 I mean, are. And Mike, Birmingham is another. OK, Birmingham, good. Well, you should have said that. Birmingham that's... Yeah, what? You should have said that. <laughs> well... <laughs> Oh, dear, oh, dear. Well, anyway. Anyway, listen, we're all on the same page here, Dr. Mike. I want to make the NHS better. So do you. And the more conversations like this we have, the better, as far as I'm concerned. If there was one, I always ask experts like yourself the final question. If there was one thing uh, that you could do that would immediately improve the ambulance situation in this uh, country, what would it be? It would be getting uh, local people to see what they can do with the resources that they have locally and to very quickly have a look at the Vanguard area where the ambulance service is working well and see what's happening there that they're not doing. Do do you fear then that it's it's, it's too centralised? Is that what you're saying? Well, as I started off by saying, if you go on the NHS web, you can see there are 600 different authorities running our NHS. It's, I think it's the second biggest employer in the world after the Indian Railways or something like that. The Red Army, I think. It, well, whatever. It's a huge yeah. organisation. Yeah. And trying to trying to make 
one one size fits all is obviously not working. No, it, it's it, not. It's, you know, in some parts of the country, the authorities are paying twice as much as they are in other parts of the country for the same bit of equipment. Mm. That sort of thing. It shouldn't be happening. No, but we keep saying it shouldn't be happening, and it I keeps know. happening. So what's going on? Go and see where the areas locally where it's working, because that's where the system hits the people or, or cares for the people best, and see what's going on that's good there and is not in other areas. But, but also, Dr Mike, don't you think that one of the problems um, with the NHS is that it is used as a political football by the political parties? Oh, yeah. And it's oh, never, I mean, yeah. I know, I can remember, you and I were at a private lunch once with other health um, specialists, and we were all talking about, you know, what should happen, and there was loads of agreement about the way it should be funded and the way it should be reformed and all the rest of it. Oh, yeah. And then everybody left that room. And pretty much apart from you, who do say what you th- really think, everybody else then reverts to saying what they think people want to hear rather than what, oh, the, sort yeah. of ug- what the ugly truth might be. Yep. You know, like yep. you need more private money or whatever it might be. And politicians are so frightened of the public's response to, oh, you know, you want to privatise the NHS that they won't do the decent thing. Yep. Yeah, well, yeah, well, that's one of the reasons why when it was brought in that NHS England was responsible for management and that the Secretary of State was responsible for the political side of it, it was a, a step forward. Mm. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, some of the best decisions are made by the cross-party uh, MPs who themselves being previous Secretary of State for Health or Ministers for Health, and they know the job and, and they endeavour to make pragmatic decisions uh, and put forward to suggest. I think it's Norman Land that um, yes. uh, chairs the committee, and you know, a good good things come out of them. But of course, they have very little power other than persuasion, and and they do seem to be having a pragmatic approach to what is going on and taking the oh, it's due to the Conservatives, oh, it's due to the Labour. You know, we've had enough of that. Exactly. Uh, this is the service that we've got to have going on all the time. Who's ever in power? Absolutely right, Dr. Mike. Pleasure. Thank you very much indeed, Dr. Mike Smith, and anxious commentator. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, Let's talk to Ryan, uh, who is in the New Forest. Hello, Ryan. Uh, hello, how are you doing? Very well indeed. What do you got for us? Um, well, well uh, I'm just uh, obviously a bit confused with it all because, <clears throat> as, as is, I think, everyone, I, I think that uh, there's a lot going on to sort of push through, not necessarily a, an agenda, if you like, but there's, there's some people with a certain level of intelligence are obviously taking on some concepts that the laymen are really not ready for. And I feel that there's a lot of it is not really talked about enough. And people are feeling like, I mean, I feel really the only thing that the layman could take from it is that the masculinity and femininity in, in their two separate forms are being taken away slowly. Um, is, you know, it, is it not that they're just evolving, though, Ryan? 
Well, yeah, possibly, yeah, they could be. I mean, there's nothing to say that, you know, we haven't got it wrong in the thousands of years before, so there should be something uh, definitely done. Are you but, sure about that? Um, well, really, I think that also when it comes to stereotypes, I'm also very wary of the fact that we shouldn't use them because of the fact that they have arisen for a reason. I don't think there was someone at the start of, you know, humanity dishing out stereotypes and we've all followed it ever since you know i mean obviously some of them are born out of really disgusting ways and things that have happened normally through business they've been accentuated over the last couple of hundred years but the fact of the matter is is that you know i, I feel that certain roles that are really really at risk here i mean really important roles you know just a, like just what? a strong father and the, the, the nurturing father. i mean how can you not say that women aren't nurturing but yeah but, why, yeah but they're not nurturing because they're women surely i mean men can also be nurturing can't they yeah, oh yeah, they can. Did it? Oh, I didn't I haven't actually seen things fully, so I didn't know it said that men aren't nurturing, women are. But I thought it'd say that it's more of a feminist trait for women to be nurturing, because in theory, you know, women are the maternal ones. They're the ones that give the milk throughout nature. They're the ones that normally look after the children, or not necessarily in other animals, but you know, in in humanity, it has been that way. Um, you know, so. Uh, I just, you know, it just seems strange. I mean, like I say, with the transgender thing, it's, it's, a lot of people, I feel, are feeling under attack because they're not actually understanding. <clears throat> you know, it's a uni university-level understanding that it's trying to apply... Well, it's, well, I don't think it's very simple. I think that's the trouble. It's, it, I think the fact that we're trying to understand something which we don't understand, uh, by and large, is making everybody... I try and explain it in a way which is making it even more um, difficult to understand, if you know I, what I mean. I think you're right. In some ways, it's overcomplicated. But I think, Ryan, you used a really um, crucial phrase there where you said people are feeling under attack. And I think that's absolutely right. I think people, whenever conventions or societal norms are queried or people try to overcomplicate it by getting too sort of you know, deep and meaningful, people feel under attack, don't they? Well, they do. And the thing is, I feel that the roles that are under attack are very vital roles. I mean, we've we've already seen how, you know, we push the woman to work because the woman looks after the children. But I'm not saying necessarily that it should be the men or the women. I mean, my, I have a friend who is a stay-at-home husband. I mean, it's brilliant. It's hilarious. He's actually times getting um, his wife pregnant every four years. So he has not got to go back to work when the kids <laughs> go to school. It's brilliant. He's, doing, he's on, he's on like his eighth year of a 12-year run. Yeah, how great. many kids is he planning to have? Well, you see, they said they're going to stop at three, but I reckon as soon as she goes to the school, you never know. The but the point is, coming. though, surely we should be mature enough as individuals and as a society to say that, you know, men and women are equal. There's no argument about that. Therefore, men and women can do the same things. What's the problem? Well, obviously, where it starts they, to get complicated is where you start to say, well, it's wrong to attribute this um, sort of characteristic because it's too masculine on a man uh, without wishing it on a woman. I mean, that's when it starts to get complicated. I, I think it'd be a lot simpler if everybody just said, look, you can do whatever you like, you know, wh whatever society may think of you, you are, as a man, equal to a woman. Where it starts to get complicated is where they start saying things like, but you don't necessarily have to be a man or a woman. Uh, you could be any one of six different genders if you wish. Well, I mean, if, if you're going to be a transgender person, surely, if you're going to say that I'm a man, but I'd like to, you know, wear women's clothes, or I feel like a woman, I want to be a woman, I want to dress, I want to put makeup on, I want to do this, you say, whoa, 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 hang on, you can't be that anti-feminist, mate, you can't put on makeup and become a womanly woman, because we've a already woman woman. that. Yeah, but you can't... a womanly you know, woman? You know what I mean? <laughs> but you can't, Not you, really, you no. Say, you, you shouldn't be on the extremes, <laughs> you know, no, I'm saying that you could explain that the person shouldn't be going to extremes because we're already trying to eradicate those extremes. No, listen, so there might well be people. Be listen, there might well be people who feel that their gender uh, assignation is somehow wrong that they were born a, yeah. a male well, that, and they want to be a female. That, now, that, that, that's I, there's, beyond. There's that. no doubt that that is the case in yeah, some definitely. cases, but it's in a very small number of cases, comparatively speaking. I think. 
Well, I would, I would believe so. I mean, I actually only know of one person that's transgender. Um, she's going through it now, or he's going through it now, because he'd like to be known as Jude now. She, he's 15 years old. And, uh, you know, there's literally, that's, that's, that's absolutely fine. That's, that's well, of course saying. it is. The weird thing is... is, well, is what like, I'm saying um, is it's, it's the people who are trying to kind of justify the change in language or the change in um, what they want everybody else to do uh, which is the problem? I but, think. but but I think Ryan's point that um, he knows this this fifteen year old um, who is trans, you know, uh, who is trans. I think you know, and that's really really crucial because a number of years ago that kid may well not have uh, come out with his feelings. Or Definitely her, not. Her feelings. Definitely and, not. And so that's I mean that's incredibly positive that you know that, that, that he's been able to do that. And you know when you look at I bang on about this all the time, but. You know, fifty more than fifty percent of it, um, of uh, trans people have attempted suicide. You know, that's really shocking statistics. And if by talking about it and boring some people about it, we can stop that ch- happening in the future, it's got to be worth it. Oh, definitely. But I mean, is, is surely though, if we're, if we're going to lose certain other roles, because like you say, you can't now attribute things that would have been classed as feminine, even though there might be some women that go, hang on a minute, I am really vain and I am really nurturing. Why can't I be known as this? And there's men that go, hang on a minute, I really hate everything that's classed as girly and I like punching people in the face. Why can't I be recognised for that? And, and, and there, wherefore, we're creating something in the middle where everyone has to be sucked into the middle, whereas we can't just exist all alongside each other. And that well, is the dangerous... Effect. No, well, I think, I I think, think. On, on, that, on that, I probably would say I agree with you Ryan so we'll end it there thank you very much indeed so let's talk to Felicity Morse uh, who's an author and life coach Felicity very good uh, afternoon to you hello how are you I'm really well thank you now, I found this really interesting yeah well now can you first describe yourself as a northerner or not well I'm from the Midlands are so you? I'm really confused by this report I don't know whether to be Bane or not Bane or maybe I'm just in the middle well exactly because the problem of course is depending on who you are and how you see the world you know the north can start in various different places you know Right. I'm definitely not from the north. No. Anybody from Birmingham will tell you. Well, of course, for me, you are, because I believe anyone to be north of Watford to be from the north. But, I mean, that's just my particular prejudice. Right. Well, we've all got prejudices. We have indeed. But, I mean, I'm assuming, I don't know whether you know anything about this particular body, the British Association for Counselling and Psychotherapy. They were obviously trying to do something (laughs) sensible and, and making a complete hash of it. And I think because we're so confused now, this is the sort of thing that's going to happen quite a lot. Right. So I think we do really, I think we get really confused about what feminine means what masculine means and then what that means if you're a man or a woman right right does it matter well i think it's like they're they're interesting it's a bit like yin and yang really it's a they're interesting concepts Mm. like that there is that that there is a feminine and there is a masculine and that they complement each other but most the the a more mature understanding of it is that we have both of these kind of polarities inside of us. Right. And they're both valuable. I mean, so presumably, while, yeah. it's not a problem if you are a man uh, to be all of these things that they're describing, is it? I mean, you can be vulnerable as a man. You can be concerned with your appearance. I mean, I certainly am. You can be nurturing. Right. Um, you can be caring as a man. I mean, it's pretty, pretty uh, insulting to men to assume that we're not. Right, and I think some of the problem that we've had in the past and some of the reason, or at least I'm just going to speak for myself now, some of the issues that I've had with like some of these definitions of um, femininity and womanhood and why I've moved away from them in the past is that as a culture, we tend to, or as a society, in some parts of society, in certain areas of the world and in certain parts of the UK, um, these feminine values like being vulnerable, 
I mean, being emotional is almost used as a buzzword for um, being out of control. Yeah, being hysterical, right? Right. It's just, it's seen, like, there's seen as no value in some of these um, uh, feminine emotions. When I say feminine, I just mean feminine. I don't mean for women, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think you can be, you know, I think the whole, the whole, I mean, there are some good things about the gender neutrality situation, which for me means that you shouldn't be, you know, as, as the father of both boys and girls, you know, I would not discriminate either way as to which one of them should be doing and what the other one should be doing because of their sex, you know. So I think we're moving into a more kind of, shall we say, enlightened era. However, if it starts to get ridiculously complex, like these people have tried to make it, that's when it goes wrong. Well, the thing is, it is a bit complex, right? Because you can have a mature masculine inside you and a mature and an immature masculine. So the mature masculine inside you might be um, providing order and structure, right? And that's great. Like, it gives you the rails. Right. Um, Why does it have to be mature masculine, though? Why could it not be mature feminine? Well, mature feminine. So these are just concepts right. rather than rather than, like, meaning woman or man. But mature mas- that's that's in the same way as like it's uh, in the same way as like yin and yang are just different kind of energies, as it were. This is where it all gets very difficult for people to <laughs> comprehend. But I don't mind the yin, God, yin and yang thing. Energies, fine. yeah, right. But the idea is, is that for example, and then say feminine is more creative. So if you would think of that in a situation like I've just written a book, um, you would want to have like a. You, you would want to use the masculine side of you to create a structure so that you can be creative within that. Are you allowed to be this specific about feminine and masculinity in this gender-neutral era in which we live? Well, I'm not talking about men and women. I'm just talking about different forces. No, no, but you're, but, you're attributing, but you're attributing qualities to masculine forces and qualities to feminine forces, which is gender-specific, isn't it? Y- yes, but it's not sex-specific. What's the difference? We're conditioned. So we're conditioned to, um, as a woman, you're conditioned to have more of these kind of caring, compassionate ones. And as a man, you're conditioned that only this other side is permitted. And actually, like, we all have all of them. Okay, all right. Just learning how to work with them. Well, maybe we need to find new words for them then, rather than masculine and feminine, because that will confuse people. Well, I think it's just the words have been used in the wrong context before. Yes, no, I get that. But Felicity, what do you think about the the aspect of this story where the um, association was saying that vanity um, is a is a feminine trait? I mean, do you think a that there's that that's true? Um, for you obviously, starters? never met Simon Cowell. Well, it's not. We know that it's not true, right? We know that it's not a man-woman thing. There is men that are uh, as vain as women. That's hence the Carly Simon song. It probably just manifests in slightly different ways. So maybe men get more vain about power than women. Maybe. I mean, it's just these generalisations, right? Um, I mean, you'd probably describe Donald Trump as a pretty vain character, wouldn't you? Definitely. Right. It's just like, are you vain about, like, social status? Are you vain about... And I don't think I don't think women are vain. And I think this is where it gets very irritating, right? Because uh, if women take care of their appearance, they're vain. And if not, um, yeah, if not, they they're slobs. For... <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's it is that's very difficult. And then this thing that women are vain apart from Northerners. I mean, that's even more bizarre. That is really bizarre. Right. 
I mean, I was thinking about this, and the only way I can think about, um, the only way, and it involves generalizing again, but the only way I can think about this is that maybe in some places, you know, above London, if we're <laughs> above Watford, <laughs> yeah. um, masculine qualities are seen as more valuable in those areas. Therefore, you mean even even in a woman, masculine quality in a woman? Well, right, in, in all of them, they're seen... So women will want to take on those qualities to be to have more cultural value. I mean, I suppose uh, in a very loose way, you would say, um, not that it's grim up north, but it is a bit grittier, and, and the metropolitan types in London... You know, wouldn't get on terribly well if they moved up to Leeds or Manchester or Liverpool or. Well, or we're always amazed that they're not. You know, that they're going out at, in the evening without coats on because yeah. it's so cold. It's mean, a sort of cliche, I mean, isn't it? Francis <laughs> is, is uh, summing this up rather well. She's tweeted in saying the first person to say northern women are aggressive are getting a slap, which I think <laughs> pretty well uh, pretty well takes us where we want to go, doesn't it? <laughs> I think it's I think it's great that like there is like more permission for women to operate outside stereotypes. But what I will say is I'm not sure it, it works the other way round. So mm. I'm not sure northern men are allowed to be more vulnerable. So I don't think it's this permissiveness across the board. No, um, I mean it's all very it's all very confusing. I mean just just to bring in something else to make it even more confusing, uh, a study by Booper Health Clinics has discovered apparently now that the new midlife crisis for men is not buying a sports car and getting a younger girlfriend, but it's in fact uh, going vegan and signing up for a tough mudder uh, competition. Well, when do women have this midlife crisis? Well, I, I think women have midlife crises somewhere between 45 and 50 when the children leave home. So I'm right in the middle of mine. You'll be having yours anytime <laughs> soon, yeah, absolutely. I'm well past the midlife crisis, I should tell you. I think everybody should have a midlife crisis about every 18 months. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. To be honest, I just think just check just just to check that you're still doing what you want to do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, because otherwise you can on. fall into some bad habits. But that is interesting that you know, people are saying that men going vegan or veggie is a, you know it used to be sort of buying a sports car. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, buying a sports car and getting a young younger girlfriend. Yeah, was a sign of a midlife crisis. Although I told you at the beginning of the program that I loved the story last week about um, male vegetarians who su- who succumb to peer pressure pressure when right. they're out with their male buddies and will eat meat. Even even if they don't want really? to. So, for instance, there's this, been this reporter that studied the behaviour of, um, of male vegetarians and said that they would often like go to the football and feel peer pressure to have the bacon roll really? or the burger with their or the pie yeah. with with their mates, even though they literally didn't want it. I mean, that's <laughs> that's that's pathetic on pathetic. <laughs> well, I think I, I think I think I can have some compassion for that. I mean, I know that like even my mum would and my gran would be like, "Don't go out with ladders in your tights. What will people think of you?" Um, well, I think that's pretty good advice, isn't it? Well, why not? I had a big fight with my gran. I was like, I don't care what people think. What are they going to think? Well, of yeah, me? but I mean, it's one thing to say you don't care what people think because of some view that you may have, but not because you've got ladders in your tights. That's just lazy. <laughs> You've never had to wear tights, they're really annoying. Don't you believe it. I used to wear them when I went skiing. (laughs) I wore tights when I went skiing, and they weren't laddered either. So what proportion of your life have you been wearing tights, Mike? I couldn't tell you that. I hardly know you. But they're very warm when you're on the ski slopes, I tell you that. There's no substitute for them. I think think tights are the last bastion of of female um, suffrage, or female suffering, rather, (laughs) than suffrage. Um, Somebody's got to invent a decent set of tights that don't take you half an hour to wriggle into them. Yeah, well, we'll try wriggling out of them as well. That's not easy. (laughs) That's what I do know a bit about. But, I mean, in the end, Felicity, we are now, are we not, 
basically getting this horrendously wrong, though. Because, for example, we're getting the massive head that's being built uh, over um, uh, uh, the, the London, near the London Eye, I think it is, which is going to be gender neutral, right? It's going to be something which is going to supposedly bring people uh, into a conversation about mental health because it's part of a campaign. But, I mean, you know, it can't be a man. It can't be a woman. You know, why, why do we have to get ourselves into all these kind of ridiculous knots? Well, I think it starts with, like, valuing some of these feminine values, right? It's if we have a society that only values masculine leadership, like being strong and aggressive is seen as like better than being caring and compassionate. No, but In, I mean, like, but we have for a fem- example professional situation. But we've got a female prime minister, right? We've got several uh, heads right. of heads of departments in the government who are female. We've got plenty of female role models. I don't think it matters. All right. I'm saying, so I don't, not, I don't mind whether it's. Being- so it's not about being a woman. That's that's my point. It's about like embracing feminine values, which is different. Because if you're if you're if you if you're a woman, but like you're still not allowed to do any of, or, or if you're a man and you're still not allowed to embrace any of the feminine values, then it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really matter. I mean, Theresa May was mocked for crying. No, but what I'm saying is, is that if you're going to have a sculpture of a head, a human head, why does it have to be neutral? Why can it not be one or the other? I don't mind what it is. Can't it be both? Well, well no, it can't. <laughs> it could be two-headed. It could well, you be... can have half a face of yeah. a woman and half yeah, a face of a man. That's what I mean. But it's not that, though. It's, it's neither, apparently. So it's just going to. So how? What's it going to look like? Well, it's going to look like a human head, but it's going to be, I guess, androgynous. I don't De- know. Deliberately vague. It's going to be deliberately vague. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen the. I, actual... don't, I don't have a problem with that, but I don't understand what your problem. Your, Why is it going to be deliberately vague? Well, because that's what the designer wants it to be, apparently. So that well, it represents I... everybody. Yeah. But that's nothing wrong with that. Well, yeah, but except you're pro- you're producing something which doesn't exist, effectively. Yeah, but it's an idea rather than it's meant to look like, you know, your nan. It's yeah. just, it's, it's meant to I represent just, I something. I just think we're getting into a place which is very difficult to get out of and is very complicated to explain to people. And we're kind of creating more problems than we're solving, that's all. I think that this whole period is somewhat chaotic <laughs> when it comes to gender because yeah. we're having, like, this large conversation about, like, what it actually means. Yeah, and, and we're not getting women, anywhere either. Well, it's a very large conversation, so the more voices are involved, the harder it is to come to any sort of conclusion. But we will get there. It's just everything has to go through this kind of... It's a bit like when you're tidying your house, right? You pull everything out of the drawers and you start to tidy everything, and then there's a point in the middle where you're like, oh, God, it looks way messier than when we started. Yeah, yeah. And I think that maybe we're at this point where it's got to get foggier before it can get clearer again. And actually, Mike, I disagree with you that we're not getting anywhere because you and I have both discussed in the past how our personal attitudes towards the gender conversation or the the trans um, lobby or so on has changed. We've both admitted that we've changed our minds. Well, I don't know. Um, I mean, and that we talk, we've been influenced we, well, we by talk, the way things have changed. We talk about it a lot more, and I don't have a problem with having a conversation about the transgender movement and all of that. Yeah. But I just think that, you know, when we start to look at gender as something which is a long list of things that you can choose from, I just think that's still get, taking it a little bit too far. Well, they're gender stereotypes. Or sex stereotypes. Yeah, but that all you're doing is multiplying the number of stereotypes rather than, so, you see what so I mean, rather fine, than providing right, a choice. It's, it's, fine, it's fine to have norms as long as you're allowed to go outside the norms, as long as there's permission existing to go outside of the norms. Well, I've never needed fine. permission to go outside the norms, to be honest. 
Well, there you go. Well, you so like neither should anybody else. <laughs> well, you may think you may think that, but I've got a very good feminine side as well. The point is, is that you know I don't see that the society has to shape you. You should shape society, shouldn't you? Yeah, and that's why we're having this big conversation. That's how this shape takes place. I, th- I think that's right. And I think that, you know, by, I mean, for instance, if we're going to talk about sort of trans specifically, it used to be such a sort of niche area that people assumed it affected a very small... But it still small... is a niche area. Well, statistically, and people get very annoyed that it's had the amount of um, coverage and airtime that it has. But that is really the only way that attitudes can change. If if you kind of, if, if the conversation, as Felicity was saying, reaches everybody. And of course, some people are rolling their eyes saying, oh, not this, at, you know, not this discussion again. Uh-huh. But actually, by having that discussion, that is how you change opinions. The question opinions. is, are then... trans people vain? Unless they come from the north, that would be my question. <laughs> well, we'd have to no. ask somebody who, who, who is. But it, but it is get Vanity Von Glow on. Yeah, exactly. She would have an answer, I'm sure. But it is interesting, you know. And people do think that we've we've devoted too much time to such a you know a niche conversation. But it is it is the only way that attitudes change. As if everybody understands what that particular um you know element of society has been going through and what they need in order to to, to be more comfortable or be, be more looked after and separate to that i completely echo all of those things and as separate to that there's also a wider conversation around like what it means to be a woman and what does it mean to be a woman surely that's different for every everyone who's concerned in it isn't it well i think it's just interesting that there's so much variety around it right and yet, people feel very strongly something that cannot be pinned down, which is actually very... <laughs> it's, it, quite a, it's quite a feminine attribute, actually. But it's funny, um, isn't it? You say there's so much variety, and of course, in, in a sort of box-ticking way, there is. But, you know, if you look at the sort of Instagram feed of my 12-year-old... There's very little variety mm-hmm. on that. It mm. is all, you know, the, the, the kind of the, you know, the beauty norms or what they're aspiring to, the people they follow, all look identical. So, so is she adhering got... to the social norms of femininity, is that what you're saying? Well, she's being, she's having it rammed down her throat. What is socially acceptable and what's normal or what's aspirational? And yeah. they all look like the Kardashians. So that's not really changing. No, so it's different. You, the conversation is changing, but the, the visual image isn't. I some I also think I mean it's my personal my personal experience with like being a woman is that I've almost had to throw off all the social stereotypes and norms in order to go back and reclaim the ones that feel like me. Yeah. So I've not had it like forced on me, you know, so that I don't put on makeup because I feel like I have to. It's because I want to. But I went through a whole period where I was like, I'm not putting on makeup at all, which is like not particularly free either. If you're responding reacting against something um and i've had to you know push through and be strong so that i can say actually i don't need to be like that all the time and it's okay to not constantly you know look like i'm not affected by any emotions and that i have no emotions like even in the professional setting it's all a bit exhausting though isn't it it is is. i'm gonna go for a lie down or maybe down the pub and down about 10 pints in order to, to get myself To be a stereotypical bloke. Yes, exactly right. Well, listen, delightful to talk to you, Felicity. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, navigating uh, the gender-specific norms of society is never easy. Uh, Felicity, their author and life coach. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. 
Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.